All right, so we are we're talking dot uh, com bust. Um, I, I think that like the bust has been kind of on the mind because Adam, have you been you've obviously been seeing all these uh, various threads about people warning of, of the fact that winter has arrived. Absolutely, and, and, and I mean, uh, and arriving very quickly. Um, I think the starkest of them being. VC is like a month ago, uh, all in on Web3. And then, you know, 20 minutes ago, apologizing to LPs, like that kind of about face. It feels pretty quick. It does feel pretty quick. And it, I feel like, you know, one of the, the, the things that I certainly felt during the bust is that once things turn, they turn way faster than you thought they could. At least that was my my recollection. It went on much longer. I felt this way about the housing bubble too. These bubbles go on way longer than you think they should, but when, when they actually turn, they turn way, way, way faster than you you, you thought they possibly could. So I uh, uh, totally agreed on that. But I also think that um, the denial persists a surprisingly amount uh, a surprising amount of time. Um, you know, I, I want to get into more of this, but definitely when I joined Sun. <laughs> and the stock was like at not that like 10 bucks everybody everybody said well there's only one way it can go from here and they were right okay <laughs> they were right they were right In there, there is only one direction it can go from here the problem is it's the wrong direction that's right okay did you hear the pick and shovels thing at sun i feel like we said that a lot i heard that a lot certainly uh, yes. I, I mean, the, this is a phrase that, that, that really rings a bell, but I'm, uh, help me out. So this is the, this was an old like gold rush for, I don't even know if this is even true, but th- one of the things that felt like it was repeated a lot during the boom was an analogy to the gold rush in that the, the, the companies that made money in the gold rush were those that were selling picks and shovels. I guess Levi's famously, uh, made yeah. a lot of money in the gold rush. Like, can't, I would like this could all be checked. I, I, this was kind of, I, I would love to know how much of this is actually true. Um, I mean, like wh- what shovel magnate came out of the, the gold rush? Just remind me. I mean, it's like, what, <laughs> oh, what, right. what massive American picks and shovels enterprise came out of the gold right. rush? A- a- any major town has the old pick the and old, shovel old library pick and standing shovel. at the center of town, right? <laughs> right. The old pe- and actually, so uh, amusingly, sadly, I actually somewhat know pick the and shovel <laughs> university. Right. The, the, I, I somewhat know the answer to this question because uh, the um, and building the transcontinental railroad, which is after the gold rush, eighteen sixty nine. One of the, uh, the the lions of the transcontinental railroad is a guy named Oaks Ames, who actually was a shovel magnate. So I mean, these people do exist. The only reason I remember this is Bain had a very good book. I think David Bain has an excellent book on the Transcontinental Railroad. Uh, the Oaks Ames is known, and Adam, you're going to love this. Uh, you know, all these barons have these kind of, you know, these monikers by which they are known. And he is known as the King of Spades. <laughs> How awesome is that? Oh, makes me want to become uh, 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 Right, exactly. Makes you want to become a shovel magnet. So other than Oaks Ames, so I was like, okay, fine. He built a, a, a transcontinental railroad. But yes, exactly. Like there's no, there's no picks and shovels library. Um, they are um, – and of course, like you didn't take this apart because you want to keep believing. So you're like, oh, yeah, picks and shovels. Like we're Levi's. We're not – it's like no dummies. Like, no gold rush, no anything else. And uh, I felt like, yes, yeah, so there was that period of denial. 
Adam, which and in particular, I mean, this referred to Sun Machines being prolific in these dot coms, right? That that they would buy tons of them in in many cases, many many more than they could ever use. Yes. And so for me, the er example of this was uh, Boo.com, yeah. um, which I remember b- getting in giggle fits as we were talking about Boo.com because we had a file called Boot.conf. And we just thought, anyway, it was that uh, you had to be there. <laughs> you had to be there, right? <laughs> maybe, or maybe not. Anyway, Boo.com was um, a big Sun customer, and they had an E10K, a galactic machine with exactly one CPU board in it. It's like, this is not, this is not a good sign. This, this is a person who was, this is a very good salesperson, but this company has it. And Boo.com was a very early flame out. Um, they, I want to say like maybe March or April of 2000. So let's do actually chronology a little bit, Adam, because I think that, and again, we want to hear from other folks that, that were kind of around this period of time. But the, um, so... Uh, I started working for Sun in 96. So uh, I feel that like it, the the starting pistol for the boom has got to be like Netscape, I would say, in 95. I don't know. What do you think? I, don't, I, I know I'm reaching back to your kind of high yeah. school years. No, that, that, that's right. I don't know. I feel like the real go-go days maybe weren't until 97, 98. But that, I mean, I realized that this is... Uh, you know, rewriting of history, but like the time when it just, so the, my, my lens for that is, you know, I started college in 1997 and there was certainly excitement, but as the, the, you know, my TAs and the folks uh, ahead of me were graduating, it was very, very frothy, but you know, in again, 98, 99. Um, and maybe that's just, I didn't see it quite as much in, in like 97. Yeah, I think no, I think that's exactly right. I think it was definitely building. I mean, 98, 99, 2000 is definitely the height and but I think that that run up kind of starts. You you have a recession in 91. So the the the, the economy is kind of uh and I remember when I went to school in 1992 being kind of relieved with computer science I'm like, well this will be at least I will have a job. Um because there were I mean I had so many friends who were several years ahead of me, who were graduating and not able to find any job at all in 91, 92. So that's why I went to grad. Right. There you go. Right. And uh, always a good, always a good option when the economy sours. So things are kind of slowly building over the nineties and Adam, you interned for sun in 2000. Is that right? The summer 2000? That's right. Summer. Okay. So we're at, at or near the height? Yeah, I mean, undeniably, uh, like, you're right, at or near the peak of, of, of hype there and, and of that. Okay, so what is some of the largesse that you remember from 2000? <laughs> okay, so um, first of all, the, it, this bit me hard in a weird way. So I joined Sun as an intern with my, with my buddy, Pete Demeray, uh, who I think is now at Meta. Uh, he was at Oculus. Um, and uh, we could not put a roof over our heads. <laughs> okay, so like uh, lots of other interns were given housing, we were not. We tried to get it on our own, and of course, there were—I mean, talk about picks and shovels, right? There, were, we could not get housed. Um, my buddy John Motor, who responds to this thread, 
was like between apartments. So he let us crash at his place for like that interstitial month. But we spent the better part, like the the first month of our internship, we mostly spent finding. I mean, the good news was was it getting it, easier over time because you needed it. For, like, well, actually, at this point, I'm only looking for housing for like the next seventy two hours. It's my internship. <laughs> no, 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 much worse because the landlords didn't want to sign a lease for a month or two right, or three. Okay, they wanted they wanted to lock you into a year lease. Like, and the only way I got it was in, in, in you know eventually my my parents like co-signed and I had like power of attorney. Like it was ludicrous what we went through, but it was literally, there was a day when we're like, we're going to need to sleep in the office if we don't like deliver the, the Jade monkey to this landlord. <laughs> so that, that was, that, that was when I sort of like understood how different Silicon Valley was, especially in that moment. Um, but, but maybe less, less perilously, we showed up, and I remember you came to office and said, uh, you know, you can go to this fatbrain.com website <laughs> and order whatever you book you want. And, I, you know, we were like, well, you mean, you know, that's relevant to the internship? And you said, no, no. I mean, relevant if you want. Books. I'm just saying, like, you can order whatever you want. That's right. And, and I, don't, I think we, we took that maybe too seriously. Like, I think, uh, I don't remember what I got paid during the internship, but it, it almost sort of like doubled its worth on the number of Did, did you away. use that as a chip when you were negotiating a lease? You're like, look, oh, look, <laughs> look, I can, look at the I can get I you whatever here. book you want. If, it's, if that, does that help like, sweeten the pot for, uh, to get a roof over my head? Yeah. So, that, I mean, from, from my like, you know, 20-year-old eyes, it was all very strange. But I mean, you must have, I, I mean, I can't even imagine uh, kind of what you saw leading up to that. Well, it was definitely nuts. I mean, and you had like uh, people certainly, I mean, things were very, uh, very overheated, it felt. And traffic was terrible, um, you know, hard to get housing and so on. Um, for me, and I think that like pets.com, I want to say was like April or something like that of 2000. So that was actually, that had actually busted out. But but just like I think kind of the period we're in now, people looked at some of those early flameouts. I think Boo.com was early. Pets.com was early. And people were like, okay, that's obviously ridiculous. Like everybody knew. Every, of, of course. Of course. Right. Everybody knew that was going to flame out, which is true that like when you have when, – when things really turn and expectations really turn, it's the stuff that – the stuff that immediately capsizes – is the stuff that was actually in trouble, had been in trouble for a while. And it, the, even in a frothy environment was gonna really struggle. So, and everybody I feel rationalized to be like, no, no, that's not us. Like we're picks and shovels. We're not, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, we're, we're real. Now, one of the things that was very different about that time, and correct me if I'm wrong, was that there was this mad dash to IPO. So it wasn't just like the, the folks at those companies who were exposed to it. It was really everyone, like the broader public, was participating in a way that they don't get to in in, in the in the more recent froth. Absolutely. Okay, uh, but and it wasn't just in the dot com companies, Adam. I, the, I mean, you know, there are, these are tech companies, but like, I could have gone. I had job offers from. Cisco and Sun in late 1995 after having two years in NRL and hey look we built IPv6 and IPsec for BSD. Um, a lot of the of more than a few of the people I would have worked with at Cisco left six months after I moved out. Brian, you and I started within months, maybe weeks of each other. Um, 
and they all went to a little startup founded partially by some Xerox Park and spent a little time at Sun People named Juniper Networks. I suspect you've heard of them. They went public, oh God, before 2000, if I remember correctly. And all, and that was like mad dash too. Oh my God. Oh my God. We're building routers. The backbone people are buying it. You know, this is back when you could ask who built your BGP and the number of people on that list was countable in one or two hands. Well, and one of them worked for Juniper. Yeah. And, and I think that there was a mad dash IPO. I think also, I mean, Adam, in terms of like the broader public, I mean, the, the, day trading was a thing. Right, and I feel that that there was this idea of these day traders that were you know people in their underwear trading these IPO tech stocks. I think that actually there isn't an exact analog to today with Web three and cryptocurrency, where you had broadened it to people who are you, you these things these bubbles get kind of hyper frothy when expectations become so distorted that people don't think that they can bust. And that to me is like a common theme between the dot-com boom and bust, the housing boom and bust, and the, the, the boom and bust, the Web3, I think, for lack of a better word, boom and the, the, the bust that we're about to go through is that people's expectations had fundamentally shifted. Things can't possibly bust. And then that distorted investment and activity. And that led to a, the absolute nuttiness. Um, and... That is what that's part of the reason why I think things turn so quickly is because you have a decent number of people who are like, this can't be right. And I definitely remember at the time being like, this is like, this is nuts. And I think that, you know, the I remember reading like Economist covers in like 1999 warning about the, 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 that things were too frothy. And I remember thinking like, you know, I used to agree with the economists, but now I, I think they might be wrong. I think this is going to go on forever. <laughs> and the so the, for me, like the moment of that the actual bubble burst was not that kind of in the early the Nasdaq begins to correct in early two thousand. There was this period where, and I can't remember exact. I would like to remember exactly when it was, and I think it may have even been the summer of two thousand, but certainly by the fall of two thousand, traffic got better, and. That was super eerie um, because it was kind of like you, you had, it was almost like, you know, you're in the commute, like past the accident or whatever, and it's like super light. And, but then that happened the next day and then the next day and everyone was like, was traffic light for you? Like what's going on? What? Well, all, all, all the dot coms were shedding personnel because they were starting to like, like the bus was the bus starting. Was starting. Yeah. Like, I, I, I remember this and it was, it was this thing where, so, like, you mentioned the history. I think it's important to go back to the globe.com. You're like, when do you date the beginning of the boom? To me, that was the beginning of the boom. It's the globe. Because they IPO'd and went to, like, yes, yes. Because they IPO'd and their valuation went to, like, $2 billion in the first day. And it was, like, something that two guys were running out of their dorm room in Cornell. Or what something. is the globe.com? Like, I don't even know what the globe.com was or is. It was, it, it, it was some, like, stupid portal thing. And, you know, but, but it was like people got like really into it. And, and it was one of these things where, you know, a, a bunch of people see that like the globe.com's valuation went to a trillion dollars. And they're like, oh, my God, like there's money here. I have to get in. Yeah, interesting. So they are just like from the, 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 the Wikipedia article here on the globe.com. So, yeah, founded in 95 and IPO'd in 98. So, yeah, damn, I can see what you're saying. So, you're saying, so that's when like the boom goes kind of nonlinear after the, the globe.com or about that time. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, like, because think about it, right? It, it's people look at this and they're like, this is dumb. I, I remember looking at the World Wide Web in 1992 or maybe three and being like, this is this is stupid. Like, there's no utility in here. Nobody, like, this isn't going to go anywhere. This is dumb. <laughs> right. This technology is dumb. Right? Boy, was I right. wrong. But, you know, but like, like, like the globe legitimately was dumb. I mean, it was, it was a stupid idea. And, and yet people, and yet all of a sudden these, these guys had like $2 billion and it's, you know, and, and you just, you imagine all these like wall street sort of like middle finance type people that are like, I'm going to go start a company and make a billion dollars in you know, doing technology stuff. And, 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 you know, pretty soon that becomes unsustainable circa 19, you know, early 2000. Right. And I remember the, the, the company I worked for at the time laid off their entire engineering department. Or, or I, I had just left this place. Like a month later, they laid off all the programmers. And they said, well, now that we've completed our technology investment, we no longer need Oh, there you go. That makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. Wow. I feel like at least they had the globe.com, though. Now it's just pictures of monkeys. Like what? I mean, <laughs> I, hey, like it's monkeys, even less this know. time. I have you know those monkeys are smoking some primo shit, okay? Exactly. I think they're about the same. I have to say about about the same. I'm not sure that. that I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like the globe.com had more utility than the monkey pictures. I, I mean, call me crazy. I, it, it is now defunct. I don't know. It's hard to say. The, about the same. I mean, I think all of these things distort investment, right? You end up with with things being uh, invested in that should not be invested in. So did you? So Dan, when was your entire engineering department laid off? When was that? So I had jump ship and like. June of night or, or June of 2000 yeah. and it was like a month or two later and it was you know th- th- like this is New York City right this is not Silicon Valley it's a much smaller tech community and you know like I had friends at this place and when you know I get this like phone call from a guy one day and he's like dude you're never gonna believe what just happened and I'm like tell me he's like they just took all the programmers in some conference room and fired them all wow. <laughs> it was like you... yeah, but it, it, it also became one of these things where it was like it was almost gleeful in some sense. Like people knew they were going to get like people like like people who were working in technology understood that this was these ideas were dumb. They weren't going to go anywhere. Yes, you know you had business people who had no idea what the internet was about or how it worked or anything, and then you know they were trying to like grab onto that really large pie, which turned out to not be all that big, and and and, and they were just like. Oh, you know, hey, gee, we're we're not making money anymore, and we're bleeding, we're bleeding cash because we have these amazing office spaces in Midtown Manhattan. Right. What do we What do we do? It's like you fire all the programmers. Who needs those idiots? Problem solved. <laughs> Wait, but and I I feel yeah. like there is this period, and again, I would love to know exactly because I remember it, and I feel it's like through the kind of summer and fall of two thousand. Where the things that were, I mean, you had companies that were, you know, laying off all the programmers thinking that they were kind of positioning themselves for success, but we, we were calling it the correction. Like Adam, did you, do you remember us calling it the correction? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, but they've called, I mean, uh, correction, if I'm, if I'm correct if I'm wrong, but is a technical term meaning like a 10% drop in the stock. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there's the technical definition yeah. of a correction, but people called it the correction. Like it is, th- there was this idea of like, Yes, there was this froth. We're going to correct that. And I think like, one of the big lessons for me from the dot-com bust is the, ele- so the elevator is in free fall. So it doesn't stop at the ground floor. You think it will, but it won't. Like, y- 
or, or at least what you thought was the ground floor is is well, yeah exactly high. and so like the idea of like we're gonna just gonna kind of like like there is no such thing as a controlled burn in silicon valley like we only do conflagration around here <laughs> we, yeah. we only let fuel load get way too high and the the, the longer you let the fuel load the build the hotter and longer it's going to burn and i i feel so that you had, and I, for me, I remember the, cause you go kind of through the summer of 2000, it's kind of the correction and traffic is better eerily, but you know, Adam, we're, we're kind of overall participating in this group delusion that we're picks and shovels. I, for me, the absolute tip top was September of 2000. I was at a dinner with uh, a bunch of folks from Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley spent, I think like 850 million bucks in it infrastructure that year, which is a lot. And had bought a ton of sun gear. And there were, I remember there were 19 of us. And the, uh, we are just like eating like 19th century robber barons. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> picks and shovels. We are eating like Oaks Ames, the so called king of faith. Right. We are, no, we really are. I mean, and it is like, we, I mean, if you ever look at like a, like a 19th century menu the, from, from the Gilded Age, and, Oh, it's no. like these menus just like how many cor- they're like fifteen courses here. But so I, it, 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 we are, and in particular, at the at the end, and we're at Aqua, San Francisco restaurant. Did you ever eat at Aqua? Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yes. Aqua. Do you say it's fantastic? Do you actually mean it was fantastic? Yes, yes, I really do. Do, do you feel you can defend that? I absolutely think it's overrated. I felt that was like a New York restaurant that was like cost playing in San Francisco. <laughs> and in particular, they used to, I just remember the, they were, I mean, the waiters, I mean, God, the, the waiters like make hay when the sun is shining, were pounding us through wine. So like every wine glass is being filled all the way to like, like the tip, tip top, like it's a cup of coffee. And the, and I'm like a lightweight to begin with. So like I'm drunk and we are at the end of the meal, the, one of the Morgan Stanley folks orders Chateau de Quim, which is a Sauterne, like 1955 Chateau de Quim, which, and I, like, I'm not a wine drinker. I don't know. All I know is like, this is like a thousand bucks a bottle. And we just start burning through it. Best, best enjoyed by drugs. Right, exactly. So I literally, I've had Chateau de Quim, but I don't really remember it. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like blacked out, but I definitely remember it. And the, the, the bill for the 19 of us was over $20,000. And I remember getting home, and it's like 2 in the morning now. I'm in my apartment in San Francisco. I'm just thinking, like, I'm, I'm like drunk. I'm literally drunk on literal Chateau de Quim. And I just remember so vividly thinking, this can't go on. This has to stop. And, <laughs> and I swear that is the moment, because I control time and space with my mind. That is the moment that everything stopped. And... The, okay. and, and this is like September, September of 2000, 2000. And yeah, I, November of that year, November of 2000, the telcos all imploded and like literally telcos did not order. Telcos had been ordering tons and tons of infrastructure and they all simultaneously stopped. And there were like no orders in November. And then everything just went into absolute free fall. And it was layoffs and 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 you're still kind of like trying to tr- convince yourself that like maybe it's not that bad but then adam you start so you had offers because you're back at school now yeah so th- this is the weird so, so you're you're off at this boozy dinner i'm back at school 
and and me and my friends are all interviewing for jobs like in November, December, January, you know, uh, November, December, 2000, January, 2001. And we kind of don't catch a whiff of this, right? Like we know that <laughs> Silicon Valley is imploding, but nobody's pausing, right? Like nobody's saying, uh, like, actually don't come fly out. Like we don't have any positions right, for you. Because we're in barrel. <laughs> No, everything's saying go, right. go, go. And maybe they're also thinking, hey, we can we can get these cheaper employees in or something like that. Um, but even companies like Trilogy, I don't remember oh, them. Oh, Trilogy, but like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like very eager to get like, you know, took everyone to the nicest restaurant in Providence, Rhode Island and eager to get everyone out to Austin to, to interview. So trilogy um, go, is, go, I mean, go. trilogy is infamous though. Did you go out to Austin with trilogy? You know what? I didn't. I actually, that's I, a lost opportunity. I know, I, I, no, I know it's a huge lost opportunity. At that point I had the offers that I was serious about uh, a buddy of mine who had gone to trilogy <laughs> had, um, had like, uh, he, it turns out like he had needed to get like his insurance, uh, certification or something like that. And um, it took some like peeling back of layers, but it turned out he was just miserable. So um, I decided not to go to Austin. And and the recruiter was like, you know, we paid for the trip. Um, I hear that you don't want to work here, but you should just come anyway. <laughs> and it, it took a lot of convincing that I had like not left anything at Trilogy. Like, you know, we just didn't need to see each other anymore. It was over. Um, but no, I didn't go to Austin. Because they, so Trilogy famously was, was, paying a lot they were overpaying honestly for yeah and they apparently this is not apocryphal but as part of the like trilogy orient the, the orientation you would go to vegas and they would force you to bet a thousand bucks of your own money on roulette yeah that's that's yeah definitely what i've read and what i heard from from this guy who again worked there is this a I, crime organization? Um, they're out of business. They, I mean, they, and what was the trilogy? What was that like? Are they? They're not trilogy systems, trilogy software. What were they? They were a consulting goober, right? Oh, say no more. During yeah. the dot com boom, it, it, look, if you're going to talk about the boom and the bust, you have to talk about these scummy consulting. Yes, companies. which I think trilogy is the name who's ultra. Yeah, go ahead, Dan. Oh, I mean, so we worked with a company called Scient at one of yes. the startups I was at, the one I joined in 1999. And, you know, speaking of Sun, like, like part of the reason, it, it was, it, it, I hesitate saying this because I don't want to insult Sun and that's not my intent here, but it was kind of obvious by 1999 that if you wanted to scale out a big website, you bought like a thousand cheapos Intel boxes and threw Linux on them. Ooh, by 99. And, okay. Yeah, that's early. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And like, you know, companies like Science would come into a startup and be like, no, you need to go buy like a shit ton of sun gear. Go buy an, you know, an E4500, like, you know, the boo.com E10K. I understand why they bought that. They were probably like told by some consultant, you buy this, you put one CPU board in it, but now you have space to Listen, grow. Listen, I need my Chateau so de Kim, Dan. I need my Chateau de Kim. The Chateau de Kim <laughs> is not going to drink itself. <laughs> I need my trips to London on the one engineer a week uh, rotation, which is what I was doing in September of 2000. We had fire sale hired a bunch of ex-SCO engineers in Watford, UK. Yes, I remember that. I, and we were so desperate for people that we were just hiring folks en, en masse, sight unseen. Um, so, um, there were some 
there were some good ones in there. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed talking to those Watford guys and, you know, it, but it was like, they were sending one Solaris network technology engineer a week out there. And I got to go in oh God, September sometime. So the, so uh, about this, so Adam, you are just trilogy. So you, the, you managed to, to not take your trip to Austin, which would have given you a lifetime full of stories. So I, you know, obviously, you know, yeah. mistake. Now, now how do you compare that to not having the Juicero backpack in terms of like uh, oh. your, your life's mistakes? How do you rate this? You know, I think, I think that probably that recruiting trip would have been indistinguishable from others, which is like some whiteboard. I agree. I agree. And like some boozy yeah, dinners. But like the Juicero backpack would have been something I, I give to my kids and they give to their kids. Heirloom, so, I agree. Yeah, no, I, I agree. No, I, that's the way I see it too, but I just wanted to get your... But but on the other hand, nothing for like the, the descendants to fight over, you know, like who's going to get the backpack. It's true. The, ju- the Juicero you know, who... backpack locked up in probate court among your, your warring right. children. Um, the All right, so you, um, but you don't go to Trilogy... And then um, what's happening to folks back at school with offers? Oh, so, so, so then, you know, offers are going out, but we're also hearing people walking back offers um, and, and like offers getting rescinded, offers getting delayed in particular um, as in, in, uh, in the financials. Like, you know, at that time, maybe it's still true. I think it was just at that time, the sort of like, if you didn't know what you wanted to do, you didn't go to law school you went into financial services as like an investment banker. Yes. Don't say I banker. Yeah. Right. Like that. Like was, that, that. I, that I mean, yeah, that's like sort of what you did. And like, I guess <laughs> there was lots, I mean, there were briefly lots of jobs for those folks. And uh, then lots of folks who got those jobs got told actually like you can come six months later or not at all. Uh, yes, and my as my sister started working at Morgan Stanley in 2000, and so I can definitely confirm that she felt like she was the last in the door for sure. Uh, things yeah. definitely changed in 2001, and I just remember your offer at Sun. We had to fight for that offer. Um, that was not an easy. By that point in time, we there had been a hiring freeze, and these things are always way too blanket. Um, and we and I think Sun was kind of panicking. So I, I just remember us having to escalate quite a bit to get to, to be able to make you an offer. I, if I recall correctly, it was the next year that was it, it, so when we were hiring, not 2001, but 2002, that's when it required like a, an act of Congress to hire someone. That was really, really difficult. Well, when I did, sh- so I showed up and into a bunch of layoffs. Yeah. So, you know, this now like September, October, 2001, 2001 yeah. I, rem- I remember going to like some party where I met with someone who had graduated a year before me. I said that I started at Sun and she said that she and her whole group had just been laid off. And she was pretty <laughs> pissed off at me that I had just been hired into this company that had I just laid, yeah, laid her off. Yeah. I'm brutal. Brutal. And 9-11 happened. Yeah, absolutely. Which right. did, didn't, I mean, which was... I mean, on the one hand, like unrelated. On the other hand, doubt, I feel served as an accelerant. I don't think that it would have. Oh, oh, yeah, it, it absolutely killed off. I mean, like the correction had started the year prior, but and again, speaking from New York City, like when nine eleven happened, it just everything came to a halt. Yeah, right. And and it just absolutely killed a large chunk of what you know. So we didn't have Silicon Valley. We had Silicon Alley, yeah. which people thought was clever. 
and I thought it was dumb. <laughs> but I mean, all of the little sort of dot commy type companies that were holding on through through the through the correction were just like, okay, that's it. Like we're done. We're done. And yeah. and it was it, yeah, that led to a multi year like, you know, basically drying up of the desert and the new york type yeah and i feel that also like aside from kind of the infinite sadness of 9-11 i also feel that it really it kind of fundamentally changed expectations like if you had expectations that of this thing being over quickly all of a sudden your forward expectations were just like a mess and i think that whatever possibly at that point you get like total capitulation whether it's due to 9-11 or accelerated by it i feel like once you hit in the end of 2001 going into 2002, you are at total capitulation or near it. That's right. You just people not think, people recognizing that this isn't a brief dip and it's all going to come back. Right. But like, it's just going to be more of the same. It's going to be more of the same. And the, and Theo, I saw you becoming a speaker here. I'm trying to remember, because I mean, you obviously also had a front row seat for this stuff. Um, what do you remember of, the, of, of things kind of busting out? Sure, if Theo is there or not, I'll let Theo unmute when he when when he can. But because um, I remember, I mean, Theo also was. I mean, we're all kind of of the same vintage and watching things effectively bust out. The I'm trying to remember because Adam, I feel the one thing I definitely felt, and this is a little bit morbid, but I felt much more clarity in the bust than the boom, like about what we were doing. You mean in terms of like the utility of of like concretely the work we were doing well i just remember like there were many fewer stupid arguments it just felt like things felt like they were so desperate well you know i I only came i mean i really only sort of woke up after the bust so uh I feel like we have plenty of stupid arguments, so I can't even imagine how many stupid oh, arguments. Oh God, you there think might have you think those that. are stupid arguments? You That's right. Arguments. I feel like the the governance model of Sun was mostly fueled by stupid arguments. Oh, and I'm just saying that that is that that is like a tenth of the stupid arguments that I feel that we. I mean, not a tenth, but I feel that that we. That, that one of the side effects of really focusing people on just survival which is on the one hand stressful on the other hand there's a bunch of like there's a bunch of shit that just goes away um you know son had a director of volleyball i don't know no no i just remember like there's these volleyball games being organized and this like i mean on the one hand like all right i like a you know look i like volleyball i'm just like i'm 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 just saying it shouldn't it shouldn't be covered by the the dno your directors and officers. Well, there, and there was a what is now Meta. Do you? There was like a like a health club. Uh, yeah, yeah, like Building Nineteen. Or yeah, did you ever go over there? Uh, yeah, I did once. I feel like you because you and Pete were availing yourselves of all fringe benefits. I feel if anyone would have gone over there, did you wait? Did you ever play volleyball? Yeah. Uh, not at only in Sun uh, in Prague. Not, not. <laughs> not okay. I just remember like so much like pressure to join this guy's like clearly upset that people are not playing lunchtime volleyball and there's like this like constant mail going out to the entire company i just remember like looking this guy up on the org tool and be like what is up with this like volleyball guy and it's like he's a director he's a director of volleyball uh no we were probably looking at the the gym to see if we could sleep (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like that's right. You're just, is there a part of the volleyball court that's like that's sheltered a little bit? We just need to yeah. like what's the comfiest part? Of this <laughs> exactly. I, I was so I was looking back at like the offer materials from Sun, and one of the most uh, like amazing things in hindsight, like it was ludicrous in the moment. But the way that Sun and all these companies talked about their stock, talked about their stock like like it could only grow. And if it was only growing 10% a year, then your stock sucked. And it, like this included conversations with recruiters saying that stock options that were priced higher were worth more. Because if you think about it, and, they, and it grows 15% every year, then what you really want is the stock options that have a very high strike. Price. Of course. And I, I did not take any economics in college, but that, that just didn't really seem that right to I'm me. I'm not sure about the math. Hey, well, you know what? Picks and shovels, like man. This person, this is a pro, right? Picks and shovels. King of spades knows what he's talking exactly. about. Exactly. So do you remember there was a uh, – billboards on the 101 were like the hot property. Yeah, absolutely. And the uh, but everyone begins to capsize and disappear, and you've got companies that are dying, but they've rented their billboard on the one hundred and one. And do you remember the Garden dot com billboard? <laughs> no. So the Garden dot so Garden dot com was a like a definitely a dot com flame out, and they're selling like gardening supplies online or whatever. And Garden dot com had, which is probably a bad use of society's scarce resources. They took a billboard on the 101, already arguably a bad idea, and they de- they had it covered with greenery, like actual greenery, which is like, I mean, I don't know. I guess kind of nice. It was on the 101, like by Redwood Shores, where you got like all those billboards in a row, if you remember that is. Yeah, yeah. Like we're all where people post their billboards to, to tweak or. Yeah, exactly. Like, that like, like, in that neighborhood. Not exactly where that is, but yeah, in that neighborhood. And the, um, the, the so garden.com capsizes. And so they are no longer able to like water the plants on their billboard. Oh god! And it was this amazing metaphor. And I like so over like the months, these plants just like wither and die, and they look like graphic. And I just remember like, and then but the the lights are still on in this thing. So you pass this thing, the lights are on, and it's like all these like dead branches around this garden. It's like wow, this is very telling. And finally, someone is like turn off the lights on that thing and so, so it was just like like dark billboard uh, because the company you know exist. you know what what one of the uh, sad moments going into the oxide office like at the at like the worst of the pandemic was going in and like the plants we had bought just like unwatered dead uh, and i feel like you know a, a microcosm of that same symbol right yeah no dead plants uh, it's a, the plants are dying this is definitely this, you've lost a bird song here um, and definitely was uh, so. And I remember. That, I mean, there were uh, buildings. There were a lot of people had buildings that they were going to build, and that all stopped. And one of the things that was also kind of educational as this stuff all unspooled is you have everyone kind of like is just going to bat in the hatches and thinks they can survive. But when they bat in the hatches, they they pull in a bunch of spending that has all these knock on effects. So you know, the event planners all capsized and all of the, you know, real estate, commercial real estate went from absolutely unavailable to just a total surfeit of commercial real estate. Um, the, yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, my perspective on this was uh, definitely from an, a, the other side of a pane of glass because uh, I ran a consultancy 
and we had lots of clients that, well, we had lots of clients that survived because all the clients that didn't fired us. <laughs> um, so, so uh, but I, I, I entered the industry in like 96 and uh, definitely had a whole bunch of college roommates that went to work for Trilogy. So nice. to quickly recap from my secondhand experience of that is that, uh, yes, they did require you to gamble. It was roulette. Everyone had to gamble a thousand bucks, right. but it wasn't your money. That's crazy. And it was all on different squares. So there was a guaranteed winner. Okay. I th- so it wasn't but, your money. I don't know why it wasn't. They, they supplied you a thousand bucks and made you, made you bet. And, but, but only one person walked away with the, the, the pot. And what's the theory behind that? What's the what's I, the man, What is the Harvard Business Review article describing this managerial technique? I think that they wanted to make sure that everyone there was comfortable taking absolutely stupid risks. All right. I, I think the other side of that too is that it makes you know one of those whatever it is thirty two uh, is a winner, and like everyone gets to tell the story about Dave who. Won the $32,000 exactly. and, and, took everyone, and took everyone out to drinks, right? Like I think it's the, the, it's both the risk, everything and the survivor bias of the winner. Right. And I, I will say that, that not, not being in a product company, um, I, it felt like the, the bust was um, prolonged for us. I mean, it definitely happened in 2000, but, but it really didn't finish until about 2002 because all of those companies that pivoted and believed they could survive, survive they, they, they could hang on to sometimes as much as two years right? Um, while they were doing it. And I remember when I realized that everything was really, really done was probably in 2002 when I was sitting in a due diligence meeting and uh, the CEO of the company that I was doing due diligence support for with, I want to say it was Goldman Sachs, but it might've been Morgan Stanley, um, uh, took me aside and said that they would issue me a personal loan to convert my options. Mm. And I was like, Mm. was like, that is the worst effing idea I have ever heard in my life. We have jumped the, you know, but that was in 2002 though. And continues to be the worst idea. Right. That was 2002. Know, it sounds, yeah. rev- sounds revolutionary to me. Uh, we should get more companies to do that right now. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Breslow should write a blog post about oh, this. Stop, stop, stop the Ryan King. Yeah, I mean, it is amazing how it, now another generation needs to learn how, what an unbelievably bad idea that is. But you know, I'm amazed that was in 2002 when I feel like yeah, we were kind of post- like March of March of 2002. Because I feel like we we kind of got post capitulation. I, I also think like the bust went on. For way longer, I and mean, went on for a. I felt like a very long. I mean, just got to the point where it's like this is the new normal. The new normal is like tech is not whatever, and not people are not coming here seeking riches. They are no longer day trading. They are not thinking about you know they're they're not day trading on their their IPO. And the new normal is that that tech is uh, just a part of the economy. It wasn't. It, it, yeah. Yeah, and, and another data point from uh, from you know then a student and then recently graduated student was when I left the intro to computer science classes were the biggest they had ever been, needing to spill over into multiple classrooms. Uh, in by two thousand two, they had contracted by like half, and it continued to decline. So, so that, 
that's a really important point. I mean, bear in mind that when, when the boom was happening, I, like I had a friend who was working at one of these startups who said any idiot who can spell IP thinks that they can get a job as a programmer. And so you had this glut of people who, you know, like bluntly just weren't very talented. They weren't, they weren't good programmers. They didn't necessarily know what they were doing. And, you know, but like there was just such a demand for, for warm bodies filling seats that almost anybody could get a job. And sounds then, like yeah, today. Played what? Well, yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, yeah. This is you know the web three thing. Well, and so it'd be interesting to track that metric now, Adam. Because certainly, we're back. I mean, computer science is by far the biggest course on every campus. It's huge right now. Something I, I have these data in front of uh, somewhere on my computer, but something like a quarter of Brown graduates are have like taken a computer science class or in some sort of partial major. I got to go pull those data up, but the the number is staggering. And so do you feel that this bust changes that, this coming bust? Yeah, I, man, that's, that's going to be really interesting. I think in yes. particular because uh, I, think, I think some of the hype was sort of so narrowly focused. And I mean, one of the things that's very different now is I, I feel like I have a much better read on venture. And I really did not at all. I have no idea what it looked like. I mean, do you have any sense of that? Like, did you did you were you plugged into to venture in like through the bust? Uh, the only in an ancillary fashion. So, I mean, obviously, I was not an entrepreneur. Not you know, we were, but it, we played ultimate with venture capitalists. That's well, what there you was, go. My, my connection to venture capitalists was like the fact that we, um, and certainly. If you look at the firms that started in like 2005, 2006, there were a lot of bootstrap companies. I mean, VC was got cratered, and people picked their winners, and there was not a lot of new investment. Um, I mean, just by the numbers, um, I, I feel like the, the the have you read the hard thing about hard things, Adam? Yeah, I have, but it's been a couple of years. Horowitz's story there is pretty amazing. He's on the roadshow, I, I, and the um, I just like everything coming unglued while he's trying to IPO. He needs an IPO to make payroll. Um, and I feel like that's, you know, that kind of generation that's another, you know, five to 10 years old. I am anyway. Um, and I, so I did not endure that, but I, I think that, I mean, it was bad from, I mean, it was really, really bad. And you had all of these companies that were being, that were, you know, you had term sheets getting pulled, you had capital calls, not being made. I mean, all these kind of like things that supposedly can't happen again. Um, but I, I do fear that that's where I'd love to, if other folks have, were kind of were either raising then or had raised, it'd be great to get your, uh, your experience. I mean, it was, it was brutal though, I think is the, is the short answer. Matt, you've got your, your hand up. Uh, yes. So, um, I just wanted to, uh, quickly offer yeah, my perspective on, on the, yeah, the boom and bust from outside the Valley. Um, because uh, so I was I started college in fall of 1999 when the boom was well underway, and the 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 thing that I most distinctly remember that that affected me and various things that I was involved with were the free uh, the the free hosting services that were you know, like for hosting a website or or streaming audio um, that were available online during the boom and then. By 2001 and definitely into 2002, they were they were you know trying to push everyone to pay or 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 suffer ads. <laughs> yeah, Matt, what was the thing that like you could? They gave you a computer to watch ads. Do you remember oh. this? 
alladvantage.com. Well, the, the, the one I remember was alladvantage.com, which was some kind of like browser add-on or something that would, that would pay you to, uh, to watch ads. But I, uh, a free I, computer. I feel, you know, I feel like I don't remember like, the free computer. Free.com. I feel like there was something that was. Uh, there was, of course, Net Zero. Yes. Net Zero, I mean, ironically named. <laughs> when actually, I remember, I mean, the, um, the Excite at Home um, also cratered. And I remember. Do you remember their what? building, Adam? Where was that? I they so they, they had a building. They, they I had a people at home before the merger. Oh yeah, we, right, right. So they, right, it was at home, and then excite. So they became excited home, and what that went starting VC put them together. That's what I want to know. Uh, Tom Jermalk, uh former okay. CFO. Uh, exactly. The okay. uh, if you sense. if you if someone had had uh, there's a great Business Week article on um, the the G Wiz company at SGI looking at the downfall of SGI. Um, and Tom Jermalek was the, that, that's the answer to your question. Um, but the, the, I just remember going from a field, like nothing to a building, to a totally full parking lot, to a totally empty parking lot, to a building with like broken windows that no one was occupying. And all that felt like it happened within 24 months, um, from like field to like, derelict building happened just remarkably quickly over probably from 2000 to 2002. Oh, the, another big thing I remember on the consumer side of this was all of the free phone call providers. Cause remember 1999, 2000, you know, making long distance calls on a landline actually cost something. And, <laughs> right. and there were all right. these companies like, uh, dialpad.com <laughs> and, yeah, Delta Three, and right. uh, I I forget the others, but uh, and and by by late two thousand one, um, they they were they were uh, tight. You know, they they were you know, they were tightening things up and imposing ads or whatever. God, paying for long distance is such a a timepiece. I feel I'm just like I, even the term long distance. The term long distance. AT and T is alive and well and fleecing people for hundreds of dollars for calls <laughs> to this day for what they describe as long distance. Uh, they're the phone company. They don't have to care. What you mean? That's still a thing. Oh yes, I just received the bill. Like I, tr- I made a call to some. It just it's all phone companies are from another time. <laughs> But uh, I, I I remember that by late you know, late two thousand one was when we we really started to feel it as consumers, and uh, I particularly remember that there was this whole you know, shoutcast internet radio, uh, you know, on, you know, audio streaming uh, scene that I was into back then, and there was a website called shoutclub.com that had a directory of these online stations, and I forget what else. And in December 2001, the, author, the, the, the owner of the website posted an article called Waking Up from the Dream of Free Internet. Oh, this is, this is the rip good times yep, for, for yep, free internet. For, for okay. At least for, for this little piece of the, of the bubble. <laughs> okay, and so Matt, did you go to fucked company at all? Fuckedcompany.com at all? Uh-uh. I feel like that, okay, that I feel like was 
that was a common thing though, right? Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. That, was, that was everyone's homepage. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. oh that, that was so fun. <laughs> it, yeah, because there is this kind of like Schadenfreude phase of the bust. Maybe it didn't actually end that Schadenfreude phase. Where what's that? What's that? My wonderful journey blog yeah, thing, right? <laughs> right. But they, which, on the one hand, you, I mean, there's something that feels like the the the, the even though it's not truly wicked, but that the way that there does feel like there 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 is there's justice is being served by the economy. The problem is there's lots of like collateral damage. But I definitely remember going to fuckcompany.com quite a bit. And- oh, I'll, I'll do you one better than that. So at one of the startups I worked at on 23rd Street, across the street was this nice Irish bar where we'd all kind of hang out after hours. And in the building where our offices were, on some other floor, there was some other company that was pretty well known. I can't remember what they are, are were now. It was some sort of online gaming type thing or something. And they basically went belly up one day. And so they all just like left and decamped to the bar. And then we showed up. And it, it just became this enormous, just like, you know, nowadays it would be all shit posting on Twitter. But we were just like talking shit about the places where we worked. It was wonderfully, it was wonderfully cathartic and fun. But, you know, we all, like, basically had this drunken thing, and everybody was like, and these guys are like, all right, we won't see you tomorrow, you know, in the elevator or whatever. Wow. Yeah. And so, Dan, did you know people who left tech? I mean, because I feel like, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, there were people who were just like, I'm done. There was one guy who went and, like, lived on an island off the coast of Brazil, studying capoeira for, like, two years or something like that. I mean, you know, it's just. A, a lot of people, people who had options, who were just like, I don't want to deal with this. I left tech, actually, now that I think about it. I oh, basically quit the computer yeah. for five years. I, I just, I mean, I burned out after 2001, and I was just like, screw this. I'm going to go do other things with my life. And then how did the bust kind of affect your, because I feel like the bust definitely affected my own thinking. Certainly, I felt like I had some immunity around the, the housing bubble when the housing bubble started building i'm like wait a minute we literally just walked out of this movie like what what, what are we doing as a society well, I, I gotta properly credit this because it was uh 2003 or 2004 when you were i you and i were in shanghai brian right and you were you were explaining the looming you know to a 23 year old or whatever it was to uh, the looming housing disaster and it all made perfect sense uh, you know, except for the timing, but oh, but, you, right. but you had called it perfectly, right? And I remember thinking, I remember thinking that the housing market had topped in two thousand three. It's like, whoops, definitely, <laughs> definitely wrong. And I just remember, like eighty five percent of all mortgages to originate in San Francisco were option arms, and I'm like, okay, that's a top, and I'm like, that's two thousand three, and it's got a lot longer to run. And part of what makes these things. It, it they do run up way longer than you think they should, and I mean I think it, it has. I mean the, the bust was so deep though and so long that it forever changed the way that. I certainly, I mean, when we raised at Oxide, I mean Steve Searden can, can offer his perspective, but I mean we felt that the there would be a bust in in VC in when we raised in in twenty nineteen. We felt that it couldn't go on. Um, and we're I mean, we definitely... thought it was two years overdue. Like we 2018 did. was when it was supposed to all burn down. Right. And so we felt we were on borrowed time. And Steve, I remember us thinking, uh, talking very explicitly about we need, we deliberately wanted to raise enough 
that when there there was a funding when VC firms needed to pick their winners, they we would not be a small bet. We were forcing a, a larger bet. Yeah, and it went on for three more years. It went on for three more years, and it got way nuttier. I Do guess, you think right? that the pandemic gave a reprieve to all of these things? Basically, pushed off the emergence of a bust. Yes. Yes. Because uh, because I think that the pandemic got so scary financially. So, I, I mean, I think that we came very close to it, it, things getting truly cataclysmic I, in March, April t- 2020. I, I would say there's another factor in that and that the the pandemic especially in tech caused a, a pretty pretty big shift in income inequality and there are a lot of tech techpreneurs that um have nowhere to put their money so they're trying to jam it into vcs yeah that's interesting yeah that you get this that theo when you have a bubble that roll that that it, when it goes on long enough people are beginning to plow all their winnings back into the bubble, which makes the bubble go even, even more nonlinear. It did. And the pandemic disproportionately uh, inflated net worth of, of tech people versus other people. Well, and with the low interest rates, you you know, folks, folks looking for, for growth, you know, like Fidelity's and T Rowe price, all these folks who weren't traditionally, you know, involved in venture started dipping down. And then you get these, both you know, seeds and pre-seeds in you know, present company excluded, of course, that were much bigger. <laughs> Please, than, than, yes. than previously, uh, and you know, certainly not in the case of Oxa, but a lot of these companies we've seen, um, you know, things that didn't really make sense, but all caught up in this uh, in this froth. Yeah, and I think people also then raising too much money. Right or or actually or actually raising on too high valuation. Yeah, but and I think you're right that like the the um, the perilousness of, of March 2020 and and the pandemic and and the ensuing uh, you know financial uncertainty has probably propped up interest rates and and therefore propped up all of venture and now that interest rates are up, you know everyone's leaving. Yeah, I mean we we basically we hose down the entire economy in cash to just keep things basically afloat. The problem is that Theo, I agree with you that the, it was such a, a, a brute force mechanism that it actually exacerbated income inequality. And I mean, I, I feel that the um, giving pe- putting money in people's pockets that don't need it, you're going to end up with, with things like cryptocurrency, right? Well, I think the stimulus, I mean, I think the stimulus checks, it'd be interesting to know. I think it's kind of unknowable, but what fraction of the stimulus checks went to cryptocurrency? Some fraction. You know, this is a, this is a, a data point along these lines. Um, a buddy of mine um, works for Twitch and has access to a bunch of their data. And, and the stimulus checks were very noticeable in their data. That, the, the, that folks were watching more streaming video. And when those 2000 bucks came out or whatever it was, or 600 bucks came out, um, very visible in their data. So not obviously not crypto, um, but um, you know, going to places where maybe the money hadn't gone previously, traditionally. Do you think that there's a qualitative difference in not so setting aside perhaps the crypto uh, circus, the, but, but all the other companies that have come up in the last five, six, seven years, uh, is there a qualitative difference in their ability to at least have revenue it feels like in the original dot com 
thing. No one knew how to make money from theglobe.com or, or, or almost anything else that was happening. Are you accusing Boo.com of not having a good revenue model? <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, like, it, there wasn't even a way to get payments. Like, whereas so, now, like, Spotify and every other service at least can have a subscription. And it's, like, it's understood that, like, all these streaming services can rake in $9 a month or something per subscriber. And we, we know at least now, like, there's kind of a language for people actually paying for things. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with that to a point. I mean, but the, but can Uber be profitable? Well, like, no, it, but that's it, because I mean, they're a large, like, crime organization trying to obliterate the taxi system. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, it, but you wonder if Uber and, uh, and Lyft are viable businesses at, the, at what they need to charge in order to be profitable. And those are even extreme examples. I mean, I think that there's lots of much smaller companies where while you have investors and entrepreneurs talking about the death of the magical thinking that led us to the dot-com bust, I think doing a lot of the same things. Um, and I think there is still this thought that there's this alchemical formula for turning eyeballs and clicks into revenue. It is. Yeah. And, and there isn't. and Or people don't yeah. know what it is. And well, so... I mean, Google stumbled on the whole AdWords fountain of money back in 1990, whatever. And, and you know, that has led to this idea that it's like, oh, my God, you just do ads and all of a sudden you rake in, you know, billions of dollars a quarter. And you it's like, well, the information so, monopoly. well, yeah, basically, you have, to, <laughs> you have to be one of the, you know, like six sites on the Internet for which that is true. But like, I mean, I, I think Josh asked an interesting question. Like, is there a qualitative difference between now and the dot-com era? And I'm going to say yes. I mean, you know, I, I was sort of safely tucked away in a little corner in Google for most of this boom. But I, I've never seen anything that approached the levels of just like straight up, frankly, fraud that you saw during the dot-com boom. And it's, it's just, it's not even close. No, I, you, I, I but, totally agree with that. But, uh, but I do think that it's, it's a matter of degree. Um, uh, and I think there are a lot of, you know, Josh had asked about or commented on these companies that have no path to profitability and, and any potential path has now been foreclosed. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that, but, but agreed, Dan, nowhere near the level of, uh, the level that we saw in 2001. So, okay. I'm not so sure though, because I think that you also can have, Companies that are viable going concerns, but for whom the expectations are so far ahead of what they can possibly do. I mean, Snowflake's market cap was bigger than their TAM, right? I mean, that's like that. That's not sustainable. And and where you end up going is over, expectations will, I think, overshoot on the other side, and it gets really grinding. I mean, Sun was trading below its cash. The market cap was less than our cash. Which is really like talk about like a photo of no confidence. For sure. no confidence. Yes. Like, like we actually think you're actively burning it. Like you, because, and I, I just remember the, and ultimately, and when things busted out again in 2008, 2009, leading the acquisition, it's like, I mean, Sun was acquired effectively for a song. And I feel that we're, we're you're going to see you, there are definitely some viable companies in here for sure. And I think, is it more viable than the dot-com bus? I don't know. I think you're going to have to look at in hindsight because I just don't know how much of Uber and Lyft, how much of Airbnb relies on this kind of infinitely long boom with discretionary income. I don't know. I mean, Brian, Brian was he? I don't know if he was you who told me this, 
But someone said the harbinger of, of the boom, harbinger of these bubbles, is when you start seeing food delivery services. And, oh, and I know I, that sounds ridiculous now because we've all become accustomed to it. But whenever that started proliferating, probably you'd say four years ago, yeah, you know, uh, people were saying, you know, that's what was happening in 2001. That's what was happening in 2007. Yeah. Cosmo.com, baby. Yeah. And, and yet now, I mean, like, of course, but, food should be delivered to my house. Like, why, why is that anomalous? But now you have like they have- different grocery delivery services competing for 30 minutes versus 15 minutes versus 10 minutes. And yeah, you're, you're definitely going to see some consolidation there. Uh, I just on uh, one of the earlier points, it, it brought me back because Adam, you were talking about uh, I think it was Tivoli uh, and or some of the Austin tech companies. I was in Austin. Trilogy, not Tivoli. Tivoli's a good one. So Tivoli and Trilogy both were hoovering up employees in Austin. I got there in October '99. And that's when I started at Dell. And just one quick, hilarious story in retrospect. Um, Dell was infamous for having this group of Dellionaires that <laughs> had written about. And oh, we would read geez. about this. And for good reason, because the stock in the 90s had gone up by something like 90,000%. Um, it was, the, it was the, the, it had the largest increase of any stock from whatever, like, end of 89 to end of 99. And so I showed up, of course, at the absolute peak. And our, our like entrance class that came in, they brought our class to this big this you know, auditorium and they had this, uh, oh, pardon me. Um, no, it's just you, Brian. Okay. Steve, you sound okay. good. Oh, no. Uh, and they brought us in this big auditorium <laughs> and they uh, put a video up on the board. So like a bunch of food and drinks and pomp and circumstance. And they put up on the screen this uh rendition of from from sister sledge we are family uh instead it was we are delionaires and you would see dell employees dancing on desks as they dropped fake options from the ceiling um and so it was the absolute pinnacle of excess and at the time you didn't realize it you were just like oh this is this is great and then fast forward of course like the two moments i viscerally remember the first was the margin calls because those came before the layoffs at dell anyway and margin call was a, an explicit afternoon where every single middle manager in Dell that was way highly over leveraged um, and, you know, were then like betting on the margins on uh, every single other technology. Wait, stock, so, uh, Steve, when you say margin call, you're not talking like gross margin. You're talking like people at Dell who were trading on margin. That's right. Wow, okay. We're betting. That's right. Oh boy. That's right. So they, they, these are, you know, like all of the kind of mid-level sales management and, and above that had all, you know, they were up $4 million on paper and they were, you know, building a brand new house in a great neighborhood. And then one afternoon went from up 4 million to down $500,000 they didn't have. And so you just saw these folks that were living high on the hog, just like green, like legitimately nauseous and running for the bathrooms. And I just remember because it hit so many people on the same floor. That we were all asking, like, what the hell's going on? Like, it's been food poisoning in the cafeteria. Floor. Totally, because the bathrooms reeked of vomit. Oh, my God. And uh, so that margin call day was the first big one, was the first big warning shot. And, then, and when was that, Steve? Obviously, is that, was, when is that? Is that 2000 sometime? This, yeah, it's like late 2000. Yeah. And then layoffs were 2001. And that was notable only in that, 
on like the way Dell set it up is they had these floors of like 300, 350 people that were on a floor and it was all open cubicles, but like you could stand up um, and you could look like all the way down to the other end of the building. And you saw like the, the, the SVPs all kind of huddling and then starting to snake out down the aisles, shoulder tapping folks. And all the conference rooms had had paper taped up over the glass slits because they needed like, you know, 40 different rooms to just be cycling out dozens and dozens and dozens of people that day. And so the first offers had, you know, basically, um, you know, it was just an offer with a couple of different things that included like non-disparagement and, uh, and then the offers because the press started showing up in the parking lot and doing interviews, then added a clause, which was like, uh, will not speak to the press for like an extra bump of 2,500 bucks or whatever it was. Man, jeez. Um, wow. But the, uh, yeah, the Delionaires video, I've tried to track that thing down ever since and have been unsuccessful. It was, um, it's a doozy. That Delionaires. Somebody took 2,500 bucks to keep that sucker hidden. So here's like in, in, a, in a totally tone deaf <laughs> layoff experience. So this, the second startup that I worked at in New York in 2001, after 9-11, I mean, they were they were gonna go out of business. This was this was clear, and so there were like successive rounds of layoffs, and this is probably like October November two thousand one, right? Now, does anybody know what Windows in the World was? Yeah, no. yes, definitely. Well, oh, great, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Win- yeah Windows in the World was the restaurant the the thingy Trade, in yeah. in the top of the top of the World Trade Center, and. There, we had a conference room in this company that was named after various locations in New York, oh, one of which was no. Windows in the World. Oh, God. Yeah, you get what it is coming. And the phone system was one of these things where, like, you would get a phone call, like an inter-office phone call, and it would tell you who was calling you. And they would all, they were doing all the layoffs in Windows of the World. Oh, my oh God. God. It was like oh, your God. phone would ring. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and, yeah, you, yeah I know. Your phone would ring. You would get a phone call from Windows on the World, and it was like, "Okay, I know I'm going to go. I, I'm going to go and become the sacrificial lamb so the company can keep going for another month or something like that." And this is after nine eleven, Dan. This is after nine eleven. Oh, Jesus, that's so grim. That's that's pretty. It unfortunate. was really. It was really. I mean, like all joking aside, it was really pretty, pretty awful. Tacky. Yeah, awful. Well, and it's like one of these things that's like they're just not connecting the dots on like, hey, the optics of this are. Or it's like time to change the name of the conference room. Oh it's like calling your flagship software product Omicron. Oh, yeah. uh, Who would even do that? Too soon. Yeah, that, that, we were first. God damn it. Uh, um, and I wanted, our next version is Monkeypox. Uh, Matt, you've had your hand up for a while. Sorry about that. Yeah, so uh, good timing, actually, since, since you just brought it back around to Oxide. Um, I might get in trouble for this question, but... Uh, do you guys worry that Oxide is going to suffer the same fate as like Sun and the other pick and shovel companies of the previous bust? I mean, I, 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 well, I'm I'm sure you guys are have learned the lessons and are doing things differently this time. But at least from my outsider perspective, an Oxide rack seems like it could be today's E10K. No, well, I, I I think that's a pretty. I don't think the metaphor is that great there. And I think for because we're not selling them yet. Because <laughs> well, first we're not selling them yet. I mean, I, I think that uh, you know downturns, like uh, you know, will always punish incumbents to a degree. And I think for startups, it, it becomes an interesting opportunity where you know, in in high times, 
and and this is what Sun saw certainly in in you know the late '90s in high times. People aren't really looking for the low cost option, right? They're they're fine spending and spending and spending, and business as usual is sort of the safest course. And when you know is when um, startups can survive these downturns, it becomes a huge opportunity where these uh, pr- prospective customers who would normally not really consider you know, what they see as a risky option of doing something other than business as usual. Suddenly it's not just interesting, but it's a necessity, right? They need to cut, you know, millions or tens of millions of dollars from their IT budgets and doing things with Dell and HP or incumbent, you know, vendors doesn't get you there. Well, and the dot-com bust, I think actually accelerated the rise of open source. Hot take. Yeah, I I think that might be right. I I, I buy it. Yeah. Because I think... Because I think that if you were building, you know, you were talking about the, uh, the, even though Dan in this house we don't speak ill of science or whatever the whatever God whatever God blessed technology the consultancy Please was speak ill of them. Please <laughs> I I was 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 providing us our chateau de Kim. Um, that was not true in two thousand two thousand three two thousand four, and everyone is building based on x86 and open source because because it just the economics are so front and center. I think, Matt, I agree with everything that Adam said. I, I think that the, I, I would also say, I mean, a couple of other things. One, we do not know to what degree, uh, I think there's an argument to be made, I'm not sure that I would make it, but there's an argument to be made that um, the, uh, that oxide or something like it is counter-cyclical in that when people begin to focus on costs, like the cloud computing, renting all of your cloud, renting all of your compute, um, doesn't make a lot of economic sense. So I think there's a fundamental... A- AWS isn't going to be 10 times cheaper just because it's a bust. Like... No, 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 I don't think so. Well, and I, so I think that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. And I think that the... I mean, we, yeah, we know that like price reductions on the cloud have basically stopped, especially in an inflationary environment, which is also a weird, like, a weird spin on things that definitely did not exist for the dot-com bust. Um, and then I, I think that we... So... The one, two, I think that also what Adam was saying about startups, it's it's actually, to a certain degree, it is easier because the absolute numbers you're building on are so low. You're not actually trying to preserve, you know, we don't have a, an install base of tens of, tens of thousands of customers who are now re- reevaluating their decisions. Uh, indeed, to the contrary, we've got folks that we've got a lot of targets out there that are looking at like that are waking up to, you know, VMware possibly being acquired by Broadcom, right? Which is right. We're, we're two weeks ago or, or a month ago, the idea of like shaving 5% of their IT spend was like sort of not that important to them. Maybe we're right. suddenly saying, actually, you know, maybe we do need to look at that AWS bill and, and think about like how we're paying for VMware and imagining how those prices might increase in the face of an acquisition or whatever. Now, that said, I don't believe that anything is... I think sometimes people believe they're countercyclical, truly countercyclical. I think it's really hard to be truly countercyclical. Um, I think that like, I think that a bust tends to, to, to hurt everybody. I don't know, maybe liquor is actually truly countercyclical. <laughs> All um, right, okay, new, new startup idea within the company, got it? No, but I doubt it, actually. I mean, I, honestly, I doubt it. I think that like, the, you know, the, the, the hard alcohol that, I'm, I, I am, that one would drink uh, in the bust surely is, is got lower margin than the Chateau de Quine you, you drank in the boom. Um, and I, so I, I think that you know, a bust is, in that regard is not necessarily in anyone's best interest, which is part of the reason, and actually I'm kind of curious what those of us who live through it 
what kind of stuck with you from the the dot com boom and bust? Certainly, one thing that that stuck with me is one: we are definitely not in a bust proof industry, obviously, and indeed we are uh, it, it, arguably more vulnerable to irrational exuberance. And two, it's like busts are not great; that booms are not great and busts are not great, and that you ideally want to keep things cooler on the way up so they don't get as frozen on the way down. That basically both of these extremes result in in misallocation of resources. And oscillating overcorrection in both directions is, is truly catastrophic as it continues to run further and further away from like a bias level. Right. And you will absolutely have, I mean, well, it would be interesting to kind of take a poll of folks, you know, are we headed into a bust and how deep is this thing going to be? So actually, I'll put that out there as a question. Adam, what do you, what's your... What's my takeaway from the previous bust? Yeah, I mean, do you feel that we are, well, one, what are your takeaways? And two, do you feel that we're headed into something that's going to be as deep? Or what do you think it's going to look like? I mean, I think it's going to be deep. I mean, I, I think it's going to be really deep in terms, uh, in terms of perhaps like the golden era of of venture, maybe that's a wrong way to think about it, but in, just in terms of the proliferation of startups, startups doing interesting things, starting to, startups doing things that are are misinformed or whatever. But I think that there's going to be a, a deep contraction there. Um, there's also going to be a um, a reversal in in sort of the um, the founders' rights, where I think as capital dries up, we're going to see less and less founder friendly activities and much more. Uh, cold financial decisions around these smaller companies, um, and let the record reflect that we have no, that we are not one of these crazy companies that has like super voting. No, no totally, uh, yeah, right, absolutely, right. Where 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 founders have outsized privileges, not not one that uh, that I would ever work for. To be clear, like that, like signing up for that kind of thing is a little nutty uh, for for both uh, investors and employees. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be deep, and I think that like uh, it, I agreed with what you're saying that like being being cool and being connected with uh, the customer throughout what you do is is that lodestar um, that I, I think has guided people through you know both boom and bust. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you got to be you're going to have to stay connected, and I think that then also you're going to have to we're all going to have to stay nimble because I think things are going to probably change quite a bit. And I think that you're going to, once expectations really start to shift. And I think that it's very hard to predict is the other thing I would say. I mean, I, I don't know that we, other than I think that, that things will change. And I do think it's going to be deep because I think it's going to be broader. I think that unlike the dot com bust, which really affected tech very, very deeply and the rest of the economy kind of not so much. I kind of think we're headed into both. I think that, that that tech is going to be adversely affected. And I think we've got a lot of built up. I mean, the fact that there's all this inflationary pressure, I mean, not just inflationary pressure, Jesus, it's like in, like legit hardcore inflation, I, I think is, is going to make this bust different. <laughs> you know, the, the, the human consequence, I think I worry about maybe, maybe too much is these folks who have been drawn in by these, uh, you know, hacker accelerators or learn to code quick kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think they're just going to be left with nothing. Right, they're going to be taking this plunge into a new career, uh, you know, tr- going out west and buying their pick and their shovel, and then ending up with nothing. Um, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's been a lot of false promises. I mean, I've, I have less sympathy for the folks who have jumped onto the crypto bandwagon. 
Um, but I think there are a lot of going to be a lot of lost wealth and you know, for folks who couldn't necessarily sustain a deep loss. I think you're absolutely right. I also think that like, I think that in this long boom, we've been a bit too focused on mammon, honestly. Um, and I don't know, I think for me, like, I feel that like during the dot-com boom, everybody got greedy. Um, and including me, I mean, I think that like, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't feel like anyone was really immune. There, there was a, um, there was a lot of greed, a lot of delionaires. Steve Dell was definitely not alone in that. I don't know what we would call them at Sun, but they, um, I, I feel that in the bust, it was kind of a reminder of the things that were actually important and like not focusing as much on the, like reminding me why I got into this. I didn't get into this to get rich. And the dot com bust. Yeah, mission accomplished. Right, mission accomplished. Like, good news. Right, remember those stock options you didn't sell? The or or uh, did sell, and uh, the I actually all of my dot com winnings I backed into a biotech company that promptly went out of business. So that was (laughs) nice. Yeah, I I had a loss carry forward that I, I, I was taking on my taxes for a very 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 long time, and the people I know that actually made money like persistent money off the dot-com boom did so because they left tech early because they didn't like like it to begin with and they somehow were just like ironically uh they were satisfied with their outsized winnings so they just left and then those folks made a lot of money those are the only ones i know who made money most everyone else i think got kind of washed out and then, so, and then Adam, any advice for, for folks? I mean, it, it, if someone was asking us, all right, based on, on what we knew then, like what should people do for the next couple of years? Oh, how long is this going to take? And, and, and what, what, what should they do? Yeah, I think a couple of years is probably right. Like two, three years, like feels, I mean, I don't know, maybe that's going to, maybe in five years, we're going to see that as hugely optimistic I'm, when right now it feels pessimistic. I mean, much like I did in March, 2020. Uh, when I was predicting how long this thing was going to happen. Um, so yeah, I think that's the right kind of time frame. And I think you're right. Like finding the things that matter. I mean, certainly if you were in it for the money, like you know, disabusing yourself of that and, and like finding the folks you want to work with on the stuff you want to work on um, and making sure that, I mean, maybe it's too late for this, but not spending the stock options that you hadn't sold yet. Yeah. And what do you think? Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I think that, and that the, and I just think like, I, I do not recommend buying the dips. I mean, I, know, I, I think that there's a, it's kind of cryptocurrency idea that this is all going to come back. And it's like, I think a lot of this is, um, is going to be, uh, it's going to be down for a while, I think. Um, and, and we'll see. May, I mean, maybe not. I, I don't think it's necessarily in anyone's best interest for it to be down for a while. So I don't necessarily think I want that, but I think that there's going to be a lot of things that need to be corrected from an asset allocation perspective that are, that we're going to be enduring. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Dan, you've had your hand up. Maybe you get, get us towards kind of our, our closing thoughts here. Okay. Um, well, it's funny. I was going to talk about the question that was asked earlier about oxide, but your question also ties to the same period in time, you being a student of economics and history, 1982 is when Paul mm. Volcker finished cranking up the Fed rates to kill the inflation part of the 1970s stagflation. Yeah. Gee, who started around that time as a company? 
Yeah, that's interesting. But because that is actually an interesting question. I mean, I know, and I, I saw Tom here earlier. I, I mean, I, it, it, 82 is... started then. I know Sun started then. Yeah. 82, though, is really bad. From uh, the 82-83 recession is gnarly. Oh, yeah. Um, but you're right. Yeah. I mean, Sun, it, a bunch of companies started in, in, in 82-83-84. Yeah. And so, I mean, that... You know, party like it's 1982. I mean, right now, I think the Fed's <laughs> trying. Right now, the Fed is trying to make it like 1994. Okay, we're just going to keep bumping half point, half point, half point, and it's going to land softly. I hope it works. I don't know if it will, but um, you know, get re- get ready for possible craziness. And at both of the other bubble bursts you talked about, my own life, it was like, well, we had some things we needed to get done, and well, shit, the economy's going to hell, but we. You still got to do them. If you can find a way, make sure you still got to do it. Take care of yourself and take care of your family. I moved yeah. coasts in 2001, and we moved house in 2009. We took a small loss on our old house, and but we got a new one at a, at a relatively discounted price compared to what the neighbors had paid for theirs. And just make sure you're taking care of the things that you, know, you need to take care of. And don't let economic fear, eh, you got to take it into account, but don't let it like completely scare you off. That, that's a good point, Dan. Except you, we bought our house in December of 2008. Um, and uh-huh. after, after being a, um, a housing, I mean, as, as, as Adam was saying earlier, I was calling the top of this thing since 2003. And, <laughs> I, and I was like, well, I've got to buy because like, I got a kid that needs to go to kindergarten, a kid that is graduated from high school next week. Congratulations. Um, yeah, well, but, but let's get all the way there. Let's get the diploma <laughs> in hand, please. Um, the, um, but I was convinced at the time. I'm like, well, this is like, this is not good. I, you know, I'm going to be, this thing is going to continue to lose value for a couple of years, but it, this is what we have to do. And as it turns out, like we ended up kind of accidentally timing it better than we intended. But I think you're, that's a very good point. Just not let the fear consume you and you've got to do what you need to go do. Um, and, and to not, um, you know, it'll be, it, it'll be okay. It's going to be, it'll be bad, but it'll be okay. I wanted to, my dad survive neutron Jack as a GE lifer. Oh, God. God. <laughs> yeah. You got to give him lights out. The, the, I saw Bezos was, was tweeting about lights out as well. It's such a, a terrible book. A terrible, terrible person. Great book. Theo, you had, a, you had your uh, hand up. Um, yeah, so takeaways from the dot-com boom um, that stuck stuck with me are a deep appreciation for brown liquor and cigars. <laughs> uh, I enjoy those today, and they're still affordable, so that's fantastic. Um, I would say that that uh, this down that this downturn is going to be um, inconsistent across industries. I think, yeah, and it'll last about three years. Um, I don't think that the inflationary uh, pressures on that is going to change the timeline, but it'll certainly change the gravitational effect of it. Um, and I, uh, I think that the big unknown for me is that the supply chain has not been rectified and I don't know how that's going to interplay with everything. It's just, it's, that's something we've never really seen this prolonged supply chain problem. Yeah, agreed. This is definitely it is weird, and I mean, obviously, something we've had a very sharp eye on at Oxide, and have gotten ahead of for the things that we need to get ahead of it on. But uh, um, if the supply chain problems can rectify themselves, that would be really nice. That'd be yeah, super great. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, 
you know, a 14 month waiting list for a car. Right. 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 And but, you, it, 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 that's going to be an interesting thing to watch. I wonder, but although Theo, maybe your point of a, if this being inconsistent. So do you think that this could be a, you know, it's kind of the, or was, I think Truman had the line that it's a, it's a recession when your neighbor loses their job, but a depression when you lose yours. Right. And if, if, if is this going to be inconsistent and are we going to see, and, and I mean, I think you were arguing this has happened since the pandemic where you've got fun, some people who are really, really struggling, but it's not, but others that aren't. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to be a huge shakeup. Yeah. I think the best advice for trying to stay safe economically is to figure out if your company that you work for and your role even within that company are marginal or or not to the company or, or, or even to like the whole economy. Like, are you making something that people will still need? Josh, uh, you need to be reassured that you are not marginal at Oxford. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would if you could print a small certificate that I could <laughs> stick right. on my desk. It's recorded, you know. We got this called. That would so. that would help me. The uh, proclamation of non-marginality. <laughs> yeah, you know, the last thing Brian yeah. I'd like to leave folks with too is, um, I think, in these times, it becomes really easy to focus on yourself and focus on your own family, and I think just casting an eye, a, you know, a little bit beyond that to the folks in your community. Where, where your time and your money can still be helpful in helping other people and impacting their lives and also investing in the change you want to see, whether that's political donations or uh, invest, you know, changing your 401k so that it's not invested in oil and ammunition and things like that. So um, you know, certainly taking care of what's close at hand, but thinking about those around you who you can still help. Did you recently? Did you have an oil and ammunition position that you recently unwound? And that, we, we swapped we, it we, out for we, swapped we, it out for crypto. This is what my wife does actually. So uh, her organization, as you sell, like ranks investments, and it turns out a lot of the like a lot of the oxide four hundred one k is Uh-oh. invested heavily in like tobacco and oil and. Uh, and, and the, su- the subjugation of foreign nations. It turns out it's it's really easy to sort of click the defaults and and uh, and be investing in things that sort of preclude the future rather than investing in it. So get, get, out, of, get out of oil, but stay in tobacco because I smoke a lot of cigars now. <laughs> You're long tobacco. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> All right. Yeah, on that, actually, well, okay. yeah. Go ahead, Dan. Sorry. I just, I actually think that's really good advice. It's like, look. My big takeaway from the dot com bust was if something looks too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Yeah. And yeah. If, if something doesn't make any sense to like the layperson as an idea, then it's probably a bad idea. I mean, if you stick to things that, that seem like they make sense, like, you know, I, I work at Oxide, so I'm biased, but like we make computers. People are going to continue to buy computers. I'm not terribly worried. Um, you know, but if you work at like, boo.com or flus or something and you're like this is stupid you know yeah no there's there, there is definitely something to that that the uh if it, it and i think also you know take good notes because uh those of, for, who are kind of coming up during this period of time you know in 20 years you're going to be on a twitter space or Shout cloud. What was that called, Matt? Whatever, whatever, the, <laughs> whatever that was, whatever the shout cloud is of 2040. You be yeah, the, the, the neuro, the Neuralink continuum. The, exactly. Meta, it'll be a metaverse therapy room. 
That's right. You're going to be, uh, and, and you you yourself will be recounting tales of the, the bust of 2022 to question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, all right. Well, hey, on that note, I, this has been a lot of fun. Um, always uh, fun to, to, to reminisce about the bust. Um, hoping that this one doesn't affect people too adversely, other than the crazy stuff that we want to attack adversely. So, Ryan, Breslow, <laughs> other talking than to that. you. Other than, that, other than Ryan Breslow. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. Thanks.